This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 43 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. We would like to thank our sponsors, Kentucky Performance Products. They offer supplements designed to give you the most value for your dollars. Visit them at kppusa.com. This is Chris Stafford in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Heather Blitz in Wellington, Florida, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Hi, Heather. How are you this week? Well, I'm good, Chris. Um, Things seem to be sort of settling down a little bit here in Florida for me, so that's a nice change. It's been really busy this year. You've had a great time, though. You have to tell our listeners uh, what you've been up to since you were last on the show. You had some great results with uh, Prince Paragon. Yeah, I guess since the last show, I've had him in his first CDI, and uh, that's the an international rule show. Last show, we were talking about describing those acronyms, and um, it's an international show. It's his first one, and I was super happy with his results there. And that's a lot of competition, tougher, I think, judging, and, um, you know, he still stepped up to the plate in a really great way, ended up... Um, scoring in the top 10 in both classes so couldn't be happier with him wonderful well we're going to talk about him a little bit more later on in the show when we continue paragon's diary um but we should tell everybody what a show we've got coming up on the show this week uh, heather we've got patrick kittle the swedish rider you know he's based in germany um he's going to be coming on the show later on um to for the first time that's his first appearance here on the dressage radio show So we're going to share that conversation with you all a little bit later on. And we're also going to hear from Paul Cromier. He's the president of the New England Dressage Association. And part of our series of talking to uh, the GMOs around the country, the general membership organizations of the United States Dressage Federation, because there are so many of them around the country, as you know, um, Heather, they all, you know, play a very important role in uh, the organisation of dressage competitions and clinics and so on, um, from from coast to coast. And which GMO would you be in then in Florida, Heather? Don't ask me that, Chris. I don't know. I haven't been here long enough to find out. All right, put you on the spot there for a moment. Well, we'll find out before we talk to you again, so we know exactly where you are in uh, the USDF's uh, map. Well, apart from Paul, uh, we have um, several items of news this week, and not least of all from the uh, dressage affair, which took place in Del Mar, California last weekend. Stefan Peters uh, continued his winning streak. He he won with uh, Ravel in the uh, Grand Prix CDI and in the GPS and the Grand Prix Special. And uh, Gunter Seidel won the Kerr to music, the Grand Prix Kerr, uh, with U2. He beat Jan Abeling, and in third place, De- uh, David Whiteman. But Stefan also won the Prix Saint-Georges with Weltino's Magic on 73.105. He beat uh, Gunter Seidel there into second place on Trinity. And Adrian Lyle was second to Ravel in the Grand Prix and the Grand Prix Special uh, with Wizard, and uh, who she's doing so very well with uh, recently, and um, hopefully going to get Adrian back on the show Shortly, the last time she was on the show, of course, Heather um, was in the quiz. Do you remember when she and uh, Debbie McDonald um, took you on in the quiz? Yes, I do. And I remember how much we were runner up in that competition. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we won't uh, we won't be quizzing Adrian too much when she comes back on. And uh, hopefully we'll get here here shortly to uh, tell us about the season she's having a wonderful season so far though heather um adrian doing terribly well with the horses over there of course trained by debbie uh, really taking the the west coast by storm and you know i have i have yet to see adrian ride and i'm just really looking forward to that because she is doing so well i'm sure it's going to be a really great thing to see and um Hopefully, someday I get to see her in person riding. That's right. That's right. And I should, before we move on, should mention that Stefan's scores with Ravel were both 77s in the uh, Grand Prix and the Grand Prix special. So uh, he's obviously continuing on a roll over there and some really, really great results. And 
you know, it, it doesn't all happen in Florida, does it, uh, in, the, in this country? You know, they, they do have some really good competitions over there on the West Coast, and so many riders, of course, based over there, Heather. Yeah, there's lots of competition out there. It's just such a shame that, you know, that two coasts are however many miles it is. Is it 2,000 or more, 3,000 miles apart? Mm-hmm. Such a big challenge for our country. It's a really big deal. But, um, yeah, lots of top competitors on the West Coast. Absolutely. Well, I want to bring you an update on the progress of our friend Courtney King Dye. Those of you who follow Dressage will know that she suffered a very serious accident uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Um, and at the time of recording this show, she was still in a coma, but was being taken off the ventilator. And there are updates being posted by her husband, Jason, on the website. And we will put a link to that website uh, on our show notes. So check, uh, check that link for updates on Courtney's progress and we continue to wish her well and and Heather <clears throat> there's been a wonderful uh, outcrying of support and I, I believe people have been wearing green ribbons in support of Courtney and uh, obviously uh, prayers and uh, uh, around the world for her full recovery it's been an amazing rallying of support hasn't it Oh, incredible. Yeah, it really shows you how much that, you know, everyone is, is behind such a wonderful person and great role model and great rider, just worldwide. Um, she's got amazing support and best wishes behind her. She really has. Well, we will bring you news um, as we have it here um, week by week. But in the meantime, don't forget to check out uh, her website there, CourtneyKingDressage.com. And more news from the West Coast, uh, Heather, at the uh, show at uh, Del Mar last week, Tip Top, the, the Grand Prix dressage stallion of Leslie Morses, underwent colic surgery after suffering an acute attack at the show. And according to Leslie, he was standing in his stall at the horse show eating hay, and within seconds he threw himself down and was rolling. Dr. R Rodrigo Vasquez of Equine Surgical Services in Ranto Sancho Fe, California, operated on the 16-year-old Swedish warmblood and found a penduculated lipoma strangulation, which is a lump of fat that had wrapped around 20 feet of distal jejunum and part of the ileum. Basically, Tip Top had a lump of fat that has been there for years, and that fat ball strangled his bowel. Uh, fortunately, they were there on, you know, to, to operate on him almost immediately. He was just a couple of miles from the surgery. And as, as we record this show this week, we hear that he is making a good recovery and that Leslie is, is optimist, optimistic that he will make a full recovery and be back um, in work before much longer. And I know, as you know, Heather, she was um, um, competing for, you know, to, to qualify um, for the selection trials for the World Equestrian Games on Tip Top 962. Right. Yeah, we were expecting to see her in the selection trials, so still hope that uh, she can get there and that he recovers well. And I'm super happy for her that they did get to it so quickly. I mean, that's that makes all the difference in a case like that. But man, those digestive systems of horses are so fragile, aren't they? They really are. It's amazing, you know, for such big animals how fragile they are, isn't it? You know, and how quickly they can drop. And and be be you know threat have been have been a life threatening situation, um, and Tip Top is, right. is he is a big he is a big horse. Well, good luck to to him and to Leslie, and uh, I'm sure all the support of their team over there. And we'll bring you news uh, as we receive it on his progress. The United States Dressage Federation has recently announced an increase in membership dues and horse registration for the 2011 membership year, which begins December 1st, 2010. At their annual convention in last year in, the, in Texas, the following dues and fees were approved by the Board of Governors for one-year participating membership, $75, for youth, $60. And there are other, other detailed, other categories of membership. This is the first dues increase that the USDF membership has seen in seven years and to get more information on those other categories of membership there will be a link on our website to the USDF's website and uh, just one more piece of news and that's out of uh, Europe the Australian rider Hayley Berriford who's been based with uh, Isabel Wirth for the past four years will be moving to Switzerland where she's been invited to take over the training in Otto Hoffer's barn in Shan which is just over an hour to the southeast of Zurich. So um, and a big opportunity for her, 
uh, Heather, because you know they're not going to get those kind of opportunities in Australia, are they? Are they you know, people, these these Australian and Kiwis, they have to go to Europe to be exposed to this level of competition and training. Well, that's right, and I think she mentioned also that she will stay in training with Isabel, which is great because I mean I've I've seen Haley for a number of years also when I was in Europe, and I've seen her development under Isabel's um, training and guidance, and it's really. Um, vast and a, a really great amount of experience she's gotten from from that, and she's going to stick with Isabel. But the great thing is that her husband, who's uh, British, has gotten a position in Switzerland, so they're going to be able to. You know, he was staying in uh, Great Britain, and she was in Germany, and they only had sort of a long distance marriage, which is tough on any relationship. So I'm really happy for her that now they get to be working in the same, not only the same country but the same town, and um, that Haley worked it out to have a great, um, a, a great position with Otto Hoffer, and she still gets to train with Isabel, and that she and her husband are together. So that's just some fantastic for her. She's a great, great person. I got to know her on the tour in Europe, and I'm just really happy for Haley. Well, we'll see if we can't get her on the show, Heather. Maybe uh, next time you're on, uh, we'll see if we can't get her to join us in conversation. That's a great idea. Right. Well, great. Well, before we come to our first guest this week, uh, Heather, we're going to take a short commercial break here and we'll be back in just a second. Well, if you're a regular listener to the show, you know we talk a lot about Kentucky Performance Products, and that's because they are a name you can trust to give you the most value for your supplement money. Kentucky Performance Products offer supplements designed to target specific problems and are made with high-quality ingredients included at effective levels. The company's supplements are intended to complement, not compete, with your dressage horse's current feeding program, guarding against over-supplementation, and each product is backed by sound research and the money-back satisfaction guarantee. And today, we'd like to talk to you about Nalox, the original equine antacid. It's recommended by veterinarians and leading horsemen as a way of maintaining a healthy stomach, which reduces the risk of ulcers. Nalox can be given daily to horses exposed to stressful conditions or as needed when shipping, competing, or during stall confinement. You know, you can learn about Nalox and all the products at Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com. That's Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com. Well, our first guest this week is Paul Cromier. Paul is the president of the New England Dressage Association, and uh, I thought it would be a nice opportunity for these GMOs, these general membership organizations of the United States Dressage Federation, to come on the show and tell us what they are doing at local level. So let's hear what Paul has to say. Well, Paul Cromier, thank you for joining us on the Dressage Radio Show. You know, you've been president of NEDA now for, what, some six years. Tell us a little bit about the organization's history, Paul. Well, NEDA was founded a little bit after the uh, 1968 uh, Olympics in Mexico. Our founder, uh, Priscilla Endicott, was impressed with the dressage uh, when she was at the Olympics in that year, and she came back to Massachusetts. And the way the legend is, she got a group of her friends who were into horses, and they uh, got together and created uh, NIDA. It was mostly Massachusetts uh, people at the time, but they had great aspirations, so they named the organization New England Dressage Association. And it has spread to include most of all New England and uh, New York, and we have some members throughout the country as well, some Florida members, and people just join NIDA because uh, they want to know what we're doing and want to keep track of uh, what's happening up here in New England. Well, that's quite a catchment area, isn't it? So what kind of membership uh, numbers do you currently have? Uh, Right now we're hovering in the 1800s. We haven't broken the 2000 mark yet, but I'm hoping we'll be able to do that maybe this year or next. Uh, We average anywhere between... It all depends on the economy, but usually anywhere between... Uh, 1,700 to almost 1,900 members. 
So what categories of membership do you have? Well, we have the usual match members similar to the uh, uh, the other organizations, uh, young junior young rider membership, uh, adult members. Uh, uh, then we have uh, a family membership, which is... Uh, Usually it ends up being a, either uh, spouses or parents and children, and then we have uh, a business membership as well. Well, NIDA is well known for its quality of, of dressage. Um, certainly it's, it's known around the country, and you have a number of, 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 of events, but you do other things too, don't you, apart from competitions? Well, we have our two shows, our, our two-day spring dressage show in the spring, which I manage, and that's usually around Mother's Day. And then we have our extravaganza, which is the fall festival in uh, September, which is a five-and-a-half-day show, which is a combination of the CDIW Regional Championships open show, uh, open breed show, and regional uh, breed show championship. And then we do our educational events, which uh, happen also in the spring and in the fall. We have a spring symposium uh, this year that's uh, beginning of May with uh, Bettina Drummond as the clinician. And we'll be exploring the French uh, system of dressage training. And then in the fall, we have our usually our big... Uh, three-day symposium, and this year the clinicians are going to be uh, Stefan Peters and his wife Shannon. Well, that's a, that's a pretty impressive mm-hmm. impressive lineup there, there, Paul. And but you also have your year-end events as well, your year-end awards, I should say. We have a year-end award program, yeah, that's uh, all tied in. We have our, usually have our banquet uh, on the same weekend as our uh, fall uh, symposium. And that's all tied in together with that. So that's uh, uh, we uh, award uh, year-end awards for Nita from training through Grand Prix in the, the junior adult amateur and uh, open categories. So we pass out a lot of goodies. Uh, Mountain Horse is our sponsor, and they fortunately have been giving us uh, some very nice prizes to award our members who are involved in showing and uh, receiving the year-end awards. Well, tell us about the scholarship program that you also operate, Paul. Uh, We have a scholarship program that uh, we uh, give out scholarships twice a year. Uh, Also, that is, uh, it's for NIDA members, and it is also in the same categories, uh, junior, adult, amateur, open, and an international category. Uh, so, uh, if any members want to apply for some uh, type of financial assistance in pursuing their dressage education, uh, they apply. And we have a, uh, a scholarship committee uh, that reviews all the applications, and uh, we have a very subjective process. So, it's not like somebody will just send us a line and say, I'm a friend of yours, how about some need of money? No, there's a, a, a complete process to keep very unbiased and very fair. And uh, scholarships range uh, anywhere into uh, a few hundred dollars up into the thousands of dollars if we have a uh, an international competitor who is uh, seeking to advance their training uh, like in some case, and uh, recently we gave uh, Courtney King Dye a scholarship uh, right before the Olympics so she could go to Europe and train. And we've given uh, competitors scholarships to uh, train as well as for uh, if they're interested in uh, pursuing, say, something like a judging program so they can get some education so they can go on to be judges. Well, there's certainly a lot of activities going on there, which, of course, depends so much on the volunteer basis. Do, mm-hmm. um, do you find that your volunteer levels are maintaining, or, or, or how, how are they at this time? 
They approve, well, the entire board of directors is volunteers, so mm-hmm. and that's a working board, so we're not just sitting there watching people do things where they're getting our hands dirty, uh, which is mostly what I do, because I do a lot of setting up of dressage rings at uh, core shows. But, uh, yeah, the volunteers, we have different committees. Uh, we've uh, recently created a technology committee so that we can take advantage of... Uh, what's going on in the in the cyberspace in the uh, electronic world uh, so that we can keep up with uh, a good quality website and that we can offer uh, signing up for symposiums and our events online to make things a little bit easier. Uh, some people have gotten to the point where if it's on paper, they don't read it, but if they can see it on their computer screen, uh, they're able to download or fill out the uh, auditor's form or writer application and push the send button and, and get it off to somebody. So we're trying to keep up with that so that it'll make it easier for people to get involved. And if they want to volunteer, sign up as a volunteer, sign up as an auditor or a demo writer, uh, we're uh, trying to make that available to them. Well, it is an ever-changing world, as you say, with technology now and uh, access to the internet. It, it does that. Do you find that streamlining your costs somewhat? That you don't have to rely on the mailing system. We still have a lot of people who want something, a piece of paper in their hand. So, <laughs> uh, uh, our newsletter we do online for the members who request it, but most of them still want a piece of paper in their hand. So we do have. Uh, we do mail out our newsletter, and we also publish our yearly omnibus with all the shows in uh, in the region uh, in it. So that uh, and that they want. That's when we've done surveys, uh, membership surveys. That's one of the major reasons why people are coming and joining NIDA is they want our omnibus in their hand every year. Uh, so uh, we have to publish that. Uh, and get it out to the uh, to the membership. But if that's what they want, that's uh, that's what we'll do for them. So, what would you summarize as being your goals then for the rest of your tenure there as president, Paul? Mm, well, I, I would like to leave with at least two thousand members. That that that's always been uh, to get the uh, the membership up. Uh, uh, Sam Barish, uh, the former president of. USDF always used to introduce me as uh, the president of the second largest GMO in the country uh, compared to California Dressage. And I always and still correct him saying that I am president of the largest single chapter GMO in the country (laughs) because because, uh, California Dressage has got 34 chapters. And proportionally, population-wise, there's considerably more population in California than there is in, in New England. So proportionately, we have considerably a lot more members. I, that's the way I do the arithmetic in my head about that. I see. Well, we wish you all the very best for, for this year. It sounds Thank like you. a really exciting year ahead with uh, some star performances mm-hmm. there and uh, and guests to going up to New England. and. Hopefully that you'll reach your goal before the end of your presidency, Paul. We want to thank you so much for spending time with us today here. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking to you. Well, it's really important, you know, this is such an integral part of the fabric of the sport, isn't it, Heather, to have these local organizations and, uh, you know, not least of all, the the NIDA is one of the the most popular and active and and busiest GMOs in in the in the country, and, they, and as we heard from Paul, they have some great guests. They've got uh, Stefan and uh, Shannon Peters going over there for a clinic uh, this year. So, uh, you know, I think that's the great thing about the sport, isn't it? That you know that you can share these resources around the country too. Oh, absolutely, and I mean that's such a huge benefit for the members of the of the GMO and. You know, the organization that takes behind it, my hat's off to the people who run those. It's it's so much work and a lot of it's thankless, you know, and maybe not so obvious that how much of it, how much, what it takes to do it. But um, they, they have a great GMO up there. Mm-hmm. They sure do. And we'll be continuing that series as we work our way around the country to hear from other GMOs, too. Well, we're coming to uh, our next guest in just a moment, but before we do, we're going to take a short break for commercial, so don't go away. We'll be back in just a second. 
Glenn the Geek here, and we get many emails every week from people who really like the shows, and they ask how they can help support the Horse Radio Network. Well, you already do that by listening to the shows and by buying from all of our fantastic sponsors. And now you can add to that by supporting us directly and very easily. The next time you need something from Amazon, just go to any of our websites and click on the Amazon banner in the middle of the page. Then go on and buy your Amazon items. It won't cost you a penny more, just an extra click. But Amazon gives us a little bit back just because you clicked on the banner. Tell your family and friends to do the same thing. Every little bit helps us to keep giving you the quality equestrian programming that you have come to love. Thanks for listening. Well, our next guest this week is Patrick Kittel. He's a Swedish rider, but he has been based in Germany for the past few years. Um, He is currently vying for his uh, appearance at his first uh, World Cup final, which takes place at the end of March. So I thought it would be a good time to catch up with Patrick and hear about that preparation. So uh, let's uh, hear what Patrick has to say. Patrick, welcome and thank you for joining us on the Dressage Radio Show. Well, thank you yourself. It's uh, going to be a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, it's the first time I'm actually on the radio show, so it's uh, very exciting for me. Well, since it is the first time, Patrick, I thought we would uh, introduce you to our audience around the world and let them know a little bit more about Patrick Kittel and where you're based in Germany and your stables and that kind of thing. So uh, why don't you paint a picture for us of your training situation and where you live in Germany? Well, I live in a little town called Nottul, which is uh, just about in the middle of Germany, and I have a really pretty stable, which I've been in now for 10 years. It belongs to a German older couple, and I have 14 boxes here and a beautiful place to train, a big indoor and a big outdoor, and I am really blessed because I have very short older shows. When normally my Swedish colleagues have to drive for two, three days, I drive two hours, and then I am on all the best shows in the world, so that's really great that's a perfect location but well let's uh, go back a little bit patrick to your early days of course you were born and raised in in sweden and tell us uh, how you got into horses in the first place you were still just a boy weren't you when you started riding yeah that's right my first girlfriend when i was 11 actually she had a, a small shetland pony and uh, i started riding there and it was bucking around with me and i came home to my mother and i said I want to ride the Olympics, and that was when I was 11 <laughs> years old. <laughs> so I was hooked from the first go. It's a little bit like, you know, you ask a nun, like God called me, and it's a little bit the same with me and horses. Like, I knew from the start that I only wanted to ride. It's been a passion since I was a little boy. So when you say your girlfriend introduced you, so were you hooked on the horses or the girlfriend as well? Well, I was quite hooked on the girlfriend as well, but that didn't last, obviously, so long with the age of 11, with the horses that is going was on to be a longer relationship. <laughs> so at what point did you say, okay, dressage is my chosen sport? Did you do other, other sports and try those first? Oh, yeah, I did everything. I, uh, I was a little bit, I stood in a jumping stable in Sweden, and I was jumping, and I rode up to 130 and 140 in jumping as well for a short time, but then dressage always started fascinating me. My mother bought me a really young horse. We didn't have a lot of money, and she was just doing her doctor education, and we bought this horse for 700 euros. And um, my mother said she had such a pretty color, so that's why we bought it in the first place. And uh, I educated it, and it started learning changes, and I just got fascinated about the sport and just fascinated about like teaching horses to do stuff and that's still one of my biggest passion is to you know the first time to do a couple of baby steps in piaf or to do the change the first time or you do your first st george with them and you feel oh god what a potential in this horse and that's that's still the part i enjoy the most almost even more than the competition so did you inherit this horsemanship patrick or, or was it in the family or did you start a new trend No, I started a total new trend. I I mean, okay, my granddad was a little bit like on the Hungarian prairies riding, but uh, apart from that, there was no one in my family. And my mother always was very supportive of me. And when I came home and said, you know, I want to ride, that's the only thing I want to do. She said, okay, you know, your choice, do whatever you like. And so she got hooked on horses a little bit together with me. But apart from that, we have absolutely nothing in the family before me. 
So when you left school, uh, you, you, you headed to a professional career with horses. Tell us a little bit about the early beginnings there. Uh, I mean, I went to a, a Swedish sport gymnasium, which I was really lucky. I could ride like one hour a day on school time. So I did a journalist education, and then I did riding in the afternoon. Like for an hour, you got a training every day, which was really good, you know, for young people. You got someone to look at you all the time. But I always was fascinated by Germany because Germany, like 15 years ago, was the country they were winning and they were really, so the only thing I wanted to do is to go to Germany, you know, be the best. And, you know, when you're a young boy, you, you have not so big idea how difficult it was in the sport. I just thought, you know, oh, you go to Germany, you work a little bit and then you will be a world champion. And then um, with the time you learn that you have to put in a lot of extra hours and even then it's not sure how far you're going to come. So I was already with 18, I said, Germany is my goal, go to Germany. So I, I did just that. And when did you begin in Grand Prix? I did my first Grand Prix when I was 22. It was a horse that I, it could everything, but it was very hot and it was a little bit difficult uh, with, with the frame. It was a bit very light in the hands. It was a little bit nicking with the head. And it was called Santana, and I learned incredibly a lot with it. And... Uh, it took me to be a reserve on the Europeans already in Arnheim. And uh, that was my first Grand Prix horse. And after that, I have now done, I think, around 30 horses, either educated in Grand Prix or uh, competed to Grand Prix. So that's, I'm a little bit proud about that, that you know that you can do so many horses and you can have new good horses coming up all the time. So when did you start your own business, Patrick? I started my own business in uh, 2005 called Outstanding Stables. Um, it was um, before that I lived, my mother helped me a lot, and uh, I had a little bit of a scholarship from Sweden for, for, for sports students. And then 2005, I thought, okay, it's time, you know, you have to be on your own legs. So that's when I grounded my company. And uh, I started off with three horses and a little flat for me, and it's just been growing and growing. And, and how many horses do you now have in, in training in, in your stable? I know uh, your, your number one rider is Scandic, and we'll talk about him in a little bit. But tell us about the other horses and, and, and what to, a typical day is for you. Well, I have a total of 14 horses, but from those 14 horses, three is from my girlfriend. And uh, I have in total around eight Grand Prix horses at the moment in the stable, some from clients, some for sale, and... Uh, Obviously, my competition horses, and apart from Scandic, who is my absolute number one star, I have also a very, very good uh, sponsor, and uh, she has two horses, one called Florette Ass, which I was just uh, really good with in Bremen last weekend. He was third in the Grand Prix and fourth in the Cure with very good scores, and they also have a very interesting uh, coming up younger horse who I won the St. George with, with 72, also in Bremen. So... Um, I'm really lucky at the moment. I have a lot of good young horses coming up, and I still have a couple of good Grand Prix horses uh, so that I can go all the way. Well, all the way for, for, for at least for the next uh, few days is going to be the road to uh, Hertogenbosch for your first World Cup final and riding Scandic. Uh, tell us a little bit about your preparation for that. Uh, it, it, obviously, an, a natural progression for you uh, with, with this horse uh, that's destined for, for the team again for the World Equestrian Games. But this is the first step to that. Uh, tell us about that preparation, Patrick. Well, I'm, I'm trying not to prepare too intensively i just you know I, I see it like a show like everybody else i mean it's you know the the arena is 2060 and it's the same judges who judges you every weekend i went to to Göteborg and i was really a bit nervous because i really wanted to be good at the home crowd and scandic did two fantastic rider and i did my personal best and i'm not trying to get better i'm just trying to to train and get my horse better and then I hope that the result comes. It's no point of, of stressing it or trying to push for it. It's just, you know, you have your training routine, you have your competition routine, and I think it's just important uh, to follow that and to feel safe about yourself and your horse, and I think then the results will come also. Well, tell us about Scandic. How did you find him? Did he come to you, or did you go and find him? 
<laughs> I think it was a mutual. He came to me and I came to him. He was uh, standing at Graver's place, which Jan Graver and Anneke Graver, the, the half-owner, together with Hammers. And um, he has done a little bit of um, uh, like um, young horse classes. And then he was a little bit tricky. He was a little bit difficult. Um, so when he was seven turning eight, uh, a contact of me called me and said, oh, I know this really good horse, and, you know, can you not go and look at it? And uh, back then I was not really big. It's a couple of years ago. And uh, they said, I said, okay, I'll go and look at it. And I went there, and I rode him, and he was quite strong, and he did not do a change. And I said, oh, he's seven and getting eight. But I said, okay, you know, I made a deal with the owner, with Jan, and he said, you know, try it for a month and see what you can do with him. So I, he came home to me, and I rode him for a week, 10 days, and he, he is so intelligent. He just learned, like, you know, it took a couple of days, and then it started changing, and then he got more loose in the body, and then I just took a little bit back, and he started to piast straight ahead, and, like, so easy for everything. So the the owner come, came then back after a month, and we were both just, like, really with a big smile, and the young graver has the coolest smile when he's really happy, and... Um, we just said, okay, we go from here. And then a couple of months later, he was already super good placed in the small tour. In Svolle, he won the best stallion show. And a couple of months after that, he went Grand Prix. I have never had anything like it. That is so easy to learn all the difficult stuff. Well, he's now, of course, uh, what, coming 11, 11 years old. What, what, what sort of personality does he have, Patrick? But how, how would you describe him if he was a movie star? I think he's he's not the cocky horse. He's very confident, but he's also very special in his routine. He wants uh, he wants his groom. He wants me. He's like he's very special. If something is not just according to him, then he shows it to you. He's a little bit like he likes to feel safe. He likes to have his his people around him. And um, if he doesn't like something, he he tells it very straightforward. And uh, I think that. Is a big character of him. He just he trusts the people who works with him, and he likes like a close team. He doesn't like a lot of different people. I had one one person who wanted to be a little bit of a massage person, but he didn't like her. But he liked another girl, so he's very specific like that. A very interesting character. He knows knows what he wants, huh? <laughs> he definitely knows what he wants, and he's also very clear on telling you. If he doesn't like something, he says, no, 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 this is not for me. And then you as a rider or as a groom would just have to say, okay, well, then we try a different approach. Well, I also want to talk about the, the recent uh, video, Patrick, that uh, brought you and Skandik into the limelight and, and give you the opportunity to uh, tell our audiences exactly what the other side of that story is to the video that they saw. Um, it must have been for somebody who obviously loves his horses and loves the, the horse in question. Uh, tell us your side to the story, Patrick. Well, I think it was a very sad um, story, and obviously this... Uh, I was very shocked when I when I at all heard about this because it was the video was taken out of total like in the total warm up very badly and it was cut very badly as well. I mean, I train in the Dutch system, which also means that you ride the horses deeper, but we also always variate the frame because otherwise you would also not be able to have it up in the show. And I think. Uh, a lot of times the Dutch system is very mis mistrusted and also put in a bad mouth because the system is a lot more about having the horses in front of the leg to have the horses working in speed control and working with different tempos. And you constantly variate the horse in the frame, up, down, low, deep, in everything, in, in every frame. And um, what this woman did was she has a, for me, this is my side of the story, she has a side on the internet where she likes to create a, like a debate, she likes to provoke, and um, and that's what she wanted to do. She wanted to spark a, a debate about this, and she took me as an example and put me in a very bad light. And I always say when people ask me about it, I'm very open to have a discussion. I'm very open about different training systems. I'm also very open to show people the way I train. I would never ever try to train my horses in a way that would hurt them or make them feel uncomfortable because I don't believe that you can achieve anything by using force on a horse because the horse will then tell you that it's 
not right. And Scandic, like I said before, has an enormous character. And uh, if I would tell him to, you had to do the way I want it, then he would just tell me, well, mate, you know, <laughs> you can go off now because now I'm going in another another direction. So um, I hope really that people, I have put it behind me. Uh, the FBI has uh, spoken me free. They sent me a letter um, which was not really in a big way. And um, I have appealed to it anyway because I really want to make sure that this never happens to anyone else. And I want to make sure also for the public opinion that I, I would never do anything to harm my horses. And I have ridden dressage now for 15 years. I have educated a lot of horses. And also at this show, like on every other show, there were a lot of stewards there. There were judges there. There were other uh, riding colleagues there. And no one said anything. And also these people from this um, Epona TV, they were also present at this show. They had also accreditation as a press members, but they did not once ask me about anything or not once did they show up on the press conference. I did one of the really good uh, freestyle there. I was third in the World Cup Court was the opening. And she could have easily come to the press conference. She could have easily talked to me about it. And I would easily also have answered her. But instead, she waited till after the weekend and just chopped it off onto YouTube, cut it and pasted it and chopped it off. And then when the FBI actually asked her uh, to send in the information to the FBI, she just said, no, I don't want to do that. And um, I think it's very sad that it that it went as it went, but I'm a very positive person, so I try to see the best in everything, and I hope that people look into to training and that people also open their eyes. As I said on the press conference in Göteborg, all other sport artists go forward. We have a better breeding. We have a better... Uh, the riding is getting better. Everything is developing. Uh, every other sport is developing. Why are not the dressage sport allowed to develop? We have... We have so much positive in the sport at the moment. We have, like, super horses. We have super sport. I mean, I just wish that people would try to see the positive in it, like, like everybody does, and instead of just going on to the negative side all the way and, and criticizing, have an open dialogue about everything, I think, is totally okay. But I also think that you should have all the facts in the hand before you start accusing people. And when... When I get an email of people who's trying, you know, writing and saying they want to kill me, they want to kill my horses, they want to kill my, my future wife-to-be, then I'm just like, okay, people, that is not cool. And um, like I said before, I put this a little bit behind me, and I really hope that people go to the show and, and, and look at the training system. I think if they actually look how I ride and look, how my horses are going in the test and they look at Scandic and they see how happy he is with what he's doing and really trying, I think they will have a total different picture about me and also about about the system that I work in, which has is a very, very good system with also you can see a lot of horses doing and a lot of horses going with older age and also with a lot of good results. Well, you've obviously got a, a very big year this year, Patrick, with the World Cup finals and the World Equestrian Games, I'm sure, vying for a team place there too. And, and as you mentioned, a future wife. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be an exciting year. I'm definitely uh, trying to go for, for the wake. That is no, uh, what do you call, no secret about it. And I think if, if we're developing in the way we are right now, I really hope, you know, maybe to be able to, to fight on the on the place in the top five. I mean, obviously there are so many good riders in the world at the moment. You have like from America, you have Stefan Peters, who I admire. He's a really good rider, has a great horse. You have Laura Bechtelsheimer, who has a great horse and really developed as a rider. And then of course you have Isabel and the Dutch and and and. So it's going to be really tough, but. You know, I'm developing all the time as well, and the percentages are going really high and higher now. And um, it's very exciting. I'm really, really looking forward to go to Kentucky, and it's going to be my first uh, World Equestrian Game with Scandic. And uh, the week after that, we're flying basically straight from Kentucky to Australia, where we are going to get married. Oh, I was going to ask you when the day was going to be. So right after the games, what a wonderful thing to look forward to. And uh, tell us the name of your fiancé. 
my fiance's name is Lyndon Oatley. Uh, some of uh, the, the listeners maybe know her cousin called Christy Oatley. She has been uh, Australia's yes. uh, biggest rider for a lot of years. And uh, it's, we actually met like uh, three and a half years ago when she bought a horse for me. And uh, she came back to train and then it took only a couple of minutes. And then, yeah, <laughs> we fell in love and on that way it is. Oh, well, what a wonderful year it's going to be for you, Patrick. We want to wish you the very best of luck and, and uh, congratulations on your forthcoming marriage and, and good luck to you at the World Cup and uh, to getting on the team for the World Equestrian Games. And hopefully we'll be able to resume our conversation here when you get to Kentucky and, and have you back on the show. Thank you. I'm really excited. It's going to be a great year. I mean, the horses are, are going well and... Uh, I'm very much in love. I'm really looking forward to get married. And uh, I like Kentucky is definitely going to be a big highlight uh, this year for everybody. And I don't know anyone that I haven't talked to. And they said, oh, God, Kentucky. You know, everybody's so excited to go to Kentucky. So um, I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm looking forward to meet you there as well. Thank you so much, Patrick. Appreciate you spending time with us today. And we'll follow you the rest of the season and see you here in Kentucky, hopefully. Thank you very much yourself. Well, well, we wish him the very best of luck as he prepares for the World Cup finals, um, Heather, and uh, maybe see him over here for the World Equestrian Games later on in the year. Well, we're coming to uh, what, a feature that we had, Pat, um, Heather, in um, when we started last year with the Dressage Radio Show, and that was for Paragon, your lovely Danish warm blood gelding who um, when we started of course he was just in the early days of his training is uh, now coming to what his seventh birthday this week he is and i think we're going to have to have some kind of a fun party for him and i know he's looking forward to that <laughs> <laughs> he is uh, he's coming seven you know you wouldn't know it by being around him he acts like he's already been around the block a few times he's just such a mature soul um but he is just coming seven and um yeah, his birthday is on the 20th of this month, so we'll have to take pictures in his party, and um, well, I'll have to post them on his, uh, well, I'll have to see if he wants to post them on his, on his Facebook fan page. Yeah, he has quite an active fan page, doesn't he? Which we'll um, we'll we'll link to um, in our show notes. Uh, but he, you know, he has quite a bit to say for himself, doesn't he? Well, he does. He's quite an quite an opinion, and yeah. he likes to uh, he likes to, you know, get the word out to his fans what his life is about and what he's doing. So and he's quite um, dexterous with those hooves on the keyboard. He certainly is, but he does have a lot of fans too. Yeah, I think he does, and it's just it's uh, just the beginning. I think his fan page was only started a, a month ago, maybe. So building every day yeah so so what's uh, what's new for, for paragon now because you finished showing him for for this year you mentioned earlier in the show that you did your first cdi with him so uh, what next for paragon is he just going to be working at home concentrating on training now um actually yeah he's so young and i mean he did fine i took him out three times in this florida winter season um two regular shows and then that one cdi and and i just really did it to get a feeling for what he's like in the show ring and um learned a lot about that and there weren't any real surprises he was actually pretty straightforward like i expected he, he's not one that pulls something out of his hat that I didn't expect. So he did great. But, um, you know, at his age and his size, he is 18 hands tall and he still has quite a bit of strength to build. And, you know, at young age on, on such a big horse, it really can take quite a bit of time. So I certainly don't want to push him in the ring. I mean, I, you know, he works hard in training, but when you train for shows, it's, it's just quite a bit different than when you train, um, just for training sake. And what you don't have deadlines to, you know, that I, that I have to, for instance, make the pirouettes perfect or that I have to make, um, the half passes just right. And I can just train and listen to him for his needs and what he can offer that day. And it's a really big difference. So, so, um, I just want to be very careful with him that I, that I train him in, in, in his best interest and that our main goals are really going to be when we come out actually next year. And I might show a little bit this fall, 
um, just to test a bit our training again in the ring. But um, I think mostly I'll look for his next major competition outing to be possibly uh, January, February of next year. Mm -hmm. So consolidate in the training. And um, we also hear, you know, how not only how big he is, but what a big stride he has. Um, didn't, didn't we hear you say that, he, you know, he, he, how, how much he leaves the ground and how, you know, how, how elevated he is for such a big horse. It, 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 it's hard for you to get across the diagonal and get the strides in that you need because he's so big. <laughs> That's true. I mean, the, the, the arena, the 20 by 60 meter dressage arena really is too small for him. And I've been working now with some ideas on his um, intermediate freestyle that I will need soon. So I've been counting strides. And for instance, his extended canter across the diagonal where most horses, like normal warm blood horse at his level, has about 18 to 20 strides in the extended canter across the diagonal. Well, Paragon only has 13 <laughs> it's 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 enormous stride and you know but at the same time he's, he keeps it so contained that there's, there's just a way that he combines a really huge stride with still it being organized in a way that it's it's just it's hard to imagine how he he does it but he pulls it off so he, he's got a huge stride and i really could use a few extra meters to to um, really show off his full power but um i don't think the fbi is going to change that just for him oh well that's that's huge it must be an amazing feeling to ride a horse not such a big horse but a big horse with such a huge stride and, and having to contain it in that space it is. It's 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 indescribable. I just love being up there in the saddle, and and it's my definitely my favorite part of the day. It's my favorite part of my life right now. It's, it's. I'm a very lucky person to be able to ride that horse. Well, that takes us very nicely into our, our tip of the week, Heather, and um, not just riding in in circles, but riding in squares. Yeah. Well, I think we can all get a little maybe too used to riding in curved lines and circles and we do focus a lot of course on bending and lateral suppleness but I think there's a huge difference when you practice uh, or you you make a, a change from riding on a let's say a 20 meter circle to riding on a 20 meter square um, it adds a lot more kind of question to the mix as far as your horse's ability to accept both um, you know the aids on both sides of their body and when you when you're going on a circle and you have some inside bend and you have the horse in the outside rein and you can keep them sort of steady on the circle that's definitely something to accomplish and it's not um, something that you don't want to do by any means but when you go from that exercise to putting your horse on a square which is of course a, a straight line and a straight line should feel like you could either turn right or left and um, when I start this with students sometimes you know it takes them a while to get to the point where they can really within one from one stride to the next either make a right turn or a left turn so that means they're not tending either direction at all I and mean, that's the definition of straight to being able to make from that straight line like a 90 degree turn because the square has 90 degree turns and then immediately onto another straight line it, it, it really adds a lot more difficulty and precision and challenge to you know it seems like a simple geometric figure um it adds a lot more learning opportunity for both horse and rider to see, you know, if the horse is really listening and waiting for instructions or if they just kind of make turns because they predict the turn. So there are lots of reasons and lots of things that can come out um, from changing your exercise from a square to or from a circle to a square. And um, each situation might be different depending on where that horse and rider combination is starting from. But um, I just suggest giving it a try and see what happens um and if you get to the point where you can do very competently do a 20 meter circle or a 20 meter square then i think that says a lot for the, the place that you are in your training and that's that's quite an accomplishment it sounds simple but it's really not where would you recommend starting those squares heather um it's it's usually with the students that i started with um, in walk to be able to walk a straight line like maybe say on the quarter line and to be able to make a transition to halt and then um, maybe even a quarter turn on the haunches to the next straight line, which would go across 
the arena to another halt to another quarter turn to the next quarter line and when you can get that um done like that sort of walk halt turn walk then change it into trot halt turn trot um to where you can make a square turn on each of the corners of the of the square and then to be able to trot that square without coming to halt or walk to make the turns um but your horse still has to wait for you to make the square turn and, and like I said that's a really big difference that they don't just get to turn because they predict that it's coming but that they wait and if you make the halt and the turn then that can sort of turn into a half halt before the turn and that really sets the horse up for a lot more balance a lot more listening to the outside aids a lot more um, you know just lateral balance when they start turning they don't just lean and kind of take over and make the turn for you. So um, it would just graduate then to a from a walk, halt, turn, walk, square, to a trot square, and, you know, eventually to a canter square where you could also just make the, the corners in quite collected canter. Of course, it depends on the level of your horse's training and if they can do that or not. But that would sort of be the progression, and it doesn't have to be a small square. It can be 20 meters. If you get really good at it, you can take it down to 15 or 10 meter square. But um, it's quite challenging, way easier than it sounds. Uh, harder than it sounds. <laughs> harder than it sounds, absolutely. Yeah, because you don't want your horse to fall out on it, on his shoulder um, as, he, as he squares up. Out, out of that, uh, out of those corners too. It's it's so easy, isn't it? And it's all well, about keeping the horse centered. Yeah, it is, and that's why you know if you go on a straight line, it's so much easier to get awareness of the shoulders. And when you go in a circle and you bend to the inside, it's easy for those shoulders to be out. Mm -hmm. um, that's pretty common to see. So when you have to make a straight line that, like I said, does not tend one direction or the other, um, you know, I send my my students across the arena let's say from E to B, which would be, um, you know, cross-secting the arena. And I tell them, don't turn until I tell you which way to go. Yes. And, I mean, I wait until the last second possible. If I say left or right, they better be ready to do either one. And if they know I'm going to say, for instance, to go right, then those shoulders can start already going yeah. left. Yes. And if the shoulders aren't going left, then they really can't make a left turn because, you know, the horse is already out of balance. So that's why that, that straight line really is important to really establish that where you don't tend either way. And then, and then when you turn from, a, from, that, from that moment, it's, it's a whole lot different. And your horse should be feeling that too, that he, he shouldn't go around predicting what you're going to do next. He should be listening to every second to hear what you want to do next. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Don't have him anticipate and tell you where he's going to go. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, a great tip. Thanks so much, Heather. Appreciate that. Well, we have um, just one um, comment from um, a listener this week, and it's from Olivia Woods, who uh, posted this on Facebook. And she says she's a huge fan of the show. Well, it's always great to hear, Olivia. And she was wondering if maybe we could discuss finding a working student position. She says she's a young rider with limited resources and feels the best way to progress in the sport is by getting a working student position however she's found that this isn't as easy as one might think and uh, she's based up in ohio um, heather um, any thoughts on and advice that you can give to olivia well um i would suggest to her first of all to go to the top um if she has anybody that she really admires or really holds in high regard go directly there and if you don't know how to get a hold of that person. Of course, the internet's the best resource we've got these days and Google or search around until you can find out how to uh, contact that person by website or email um, or at least somebody who knows how to get in touch with that person. I would say start at the top. Make, you know, dream big and go for, you know, what your ideal dream position would be and go from there. Um, of course, if that person doesn't have the position available, then, you know, maybe they can send you somewhere else where they might recommend something like that. But I would get the word out there. Don't be shy. Um, you know, whoever you are, you know, whoever you admire or you'd really love to work for, they're real people too, and they, they need positions. Um, sometimes you, you, they will, sometimes they won't, but you just have to get the word out there that you're looking and, um, 
there are lots of positions available and I know there are lots of people looking as well, but just get out there, get in the mix and um, definitely don't be shy or thinking, oh, you're not good enough to do this job or that job. Just if you've got the dream, follow it. And um, we're lucky we can Google whatever we want to Google uh, <laughs> to find out. And, you know, with a network of dressage professionals out there, you're likely to at least get a lead to another direction you know i think you could probably um find out as you go but i would suggest the internet um as as the way to look and of course we mentioned gmos um as well this week heather and olivia that might be a way to try your local gmo see if they have any leads for you and uh, go on the websites go on the on the um, forums and the um the, the dressage uh, dress the dressage community has its own uh, social network as well um, there, there are lots of networks, as you say, out there, Heather, on the internet too. Um, and if you, if you, if you, as Heather says, have have a particular rider that um, that you admire, then maybe go to their fan page and, and post something on their fan page, see if they have any openings, because you you just never know. And uh, the internet, as Heather says, is a wonderful resource. Well, thank you, thank you for for that, Heather, and uh, thanks again, Olivia, for for writing in. We wish you the best of luck, and don't forget to come back to us with any comments or questions. And if you do find somewhere, we'd always also like to know uh, how successful that was. Well, we're plain running out of time here, Heather, this week. Um, uh, we want to remind you all, of course, how you can find us on our show notes and the various ways that you can reach us. You can visit our website at dressageradio.com where the shows are posted and archived forever. And don't forget uh, to update your podcast on iTunes as well or Zoom. And visit our fan page at Facebook. And Heather, too, has a fan page over there, which uh, I see you, your, your fans are increasing, too, out there, Heather. You're, uh, you're on your fan page. I see that you've uh, got a very active fan page. You use new media, and uh, so does Paragon. Yeah, we're we're learning as we go. Maybe we're doing something right. We're getting some more fans every now and then. <laughs> oh, well, that's great. Well, I too have a fan page on Facebook, and I want to thank everybody personally for joining that. I hope uh, um, you'll follow along where I post um, news of all the shows. And I want to remind you also that if you have an interest in uh, eventing or jumping, that I also co-host the uh, Jumping Radio Show with Pamela Young. That's a new weekly show and also the eventing radio show too. And don't forget uh, on, on the Horse Radio Network, we also have Stable Scoop and we have the WEG 2010 radio show as well as Horse Tip Daily. So lots of other shows to listen into. And uh, don't forget, of course, you can always follow us on Twitter. We tweet about what we're doing and when the shows are going to be posted and who our guests are. And, and those uh, names are to follow are Horse Radio and Chris E. Stafford. And Heather, of course, also tweets. And you can follow Heather Blitz as well. And there'll be links to those um, Twitter names on our, face, on our fan page and on uh, our show notes. And if you have any questions, comments or suggestions, you can write to me here at chris at horseradionetwork.com. And if you have any questions or, uh, for Heather, send those over to me and I'll make sure she gets those too. And if you prefer, you can leave a voicemail for us at 270-803-0025. I would like to thank our sponsors who make this show possible. And also thank our chief geek, who is Glenn. And for Brian, our editor, who makes us sound so good every week. Thanks to them. And thanks to um, Heather for joining us. Heather, you'll come back again in a couple of weeks, will you? Well, it, I definitely will. And it's always a pleasure to be back. And it's a, it's a blast to do the show. And... Um, I thought maybe we could send one little last suggestion that uh, maybe like a movie suggestion because I just saw um, the uh, Alice in Wonderland by Tim Burton and I have to suggest that movie. Do you have one to suggest? Uh, oh, you do. Did you? You enjoyed it, did you? Yeah, it was great fun, great enter entertainment. Didn't follow the book totally, so don't expect it to, but it's a it's a great <laughs> 3D movie, great effects and like, great acting, so I loved it. You enjoyed it, did you? Okay, then that is, is that Johnny Depp who's in Alice in Wonderland? Yes, it is. Johnny Depp and Helena Bottom Carter and um, Crispin Glover is in it. So, um, fun cast. All right. Well, there's Heather's um, movie tip of the week. And <laughs> I would have to say my movie tip of the week is The Last Station. Um, that is okay. the, the last year of uh, Tolstoy, Leo Tolstoy, of course, the great Russian uh, uh, author. That's the last year of his life. And talking about um, 
how the books and the movies compare. I'm actually reading the book as well, and and the the two are not the same. There's a there's a lot of differences in the way the the movie was produced. Um, that don't line up with the with the book, but both have equal value. And and I have to say, the last station goes down as one of my top ten lifetime best films, um, not least of all for for the content, for the for cinematography, production, direction. But the it was so well cast with Helen Mirren, uh, Christopher Plummer, James McAvoy, and Paul Giamatti. It was a, it was a wonderful movie. So. There's my movie tip of the week, The Last Station, and Heather's is Alice in Wonderland. Um, so <laughs> we don't charge any extra here on the Dressage Radio Show for our movie <laughs> tips, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> all right, Heather, well, always great to catch up with you. Come back and see us in a couple of weeks' time, but, and I will be back here in the chair next week. So until then... Thanks, everybody, for listening, and have a safe ride.